0: Two and two and one. Oh, shucks, I can't dance.
1: Hello, and welcome to Stories from the Open Gov, a podcast dedicated to telling the stories about what open government and open data look like. My name is Richard Pietro, and today I am joined by Jessica Levesque and Jonathan Reikenthal. Jessica is the executive director for the Cryptocurrency Certification Consortium and Vice President of Education for Empowered Law. Jonathan is the CEO of Human Future. He's a professor at a number of universities. He is the former chief information officer for both O'Reilly Media and the city of Palo Alto, as well as the author of Smart Cities for Dummies. Jessica, Jonathan... Hello, and thanks for joining us.
0: Hello.
2: Hey there, Richard.
1: All right. So today we're going to discuss blockchain technology and government. More specifically, we'll be exploring the relationship between blockchain and and its community with government and its public servants. But first, I want to hear your sales pitch. How can blockchain technology help governments govern in the 21st century? And Jessica, I'm going to you first on this one.
0: Okay, great. Uh, So I would back up first and talk about what type of blockchains we're discussing. So I would argue that we should be discussing open blockchains and how open blockchains can impact open government and open data and how it's very important that we talk about them as open, as neutral, as um, permissionless, something that anybody can have access to. Because if we're talking about a blockchain as it's often referred to, which is basically just a spreadsheet or a database, then we're not making any changes. We're just sticking with the status quo. So we'd want to we'd want to be talking about open blockchains. So we're using blockchains that anybody can have access to so that we're able to actually use them for something that would be different than what we're doing now with a basic spreadsheet or a database.
1: And, and and one of these public blockchains – and to be, to clarify, there's a lot of private institutions that are using blockchains for their own databases because it's much more powerful tool than, say, what Microsoft Access or certainly Microsoft Excel will provide you with. But what can a public blockchain then do to help government in terms of its governance in the 21st century then?
0: I would say the big thing would be having data available in raw forms for people to use to do analysis with. There are so many you know, federally, researched, uh, or federally funded research projects that we don't exactly know where's the money going or exactly how is it going to be used. So tracking something like this on an open blockchain would be interesting. And then being able to actually see the data and have anybody have access to it. And of course, there are places where we can get some data openly but not everything is available and i think that'd be really neat to see
2: jonathan yeah thanks uh, and it's great to be back with you richard it's been a little <laughs> while but we've chatted before uh on, on uh, different topics uh this is a really neat one to be chatting with you uh today on um you know fundamentally i think I- even though we'll talk about many of the different dimensions of blockchain it is at the end of the day a place to store data it is a type of of, of database, um, a very unique uh, type of database. and by the way, we're early. I, I, I you know again, I would argue that we're seeing some tremendous experimentation and some real uses, but in terms of the you know the lifespan of a, of a new technology we're we're very much uh, at the beginning. You know, kind of building on uh, Jessica's uh, uh, really good foundation there, I think there's two qualities that uh, already, sort of stand out to me when we think about blockchain in the context of of uh, openness and transparency in a in a government setting. And that is, and by the way, these are words I didn't even know what they meant until I started working with blockchain. The first one is uh, is provenance, provenance, right? Yeah, yeah. And and you know, if you're a technology person, you know, you're used to storing transactions in a system. You're probably going to delete them, archive them, you know, do that sort of stuff. Well, blockchain databases store everything pretty much right from the very first transaction you know this this is a, this is a key thing it's tremendous for when you're doing analytics when you're doing auditing because you can trace every transaction and related transactions right to through to the very first one that has a lot of application think about for example a um a real estate transaction you know uh, it, it starts with some buyer sometime and it moves between buyers. It can go between entities, and you know today we have the ability to look at that information on a uh, standardized database. Uh, but what blockchain introduces—that's by default, by by absolute default—you can go and see what was the first transaction that happened with this real estate uh, event, and then trace it. You know all through um, you know its its life. To uh, to to today, the other thing, which is uh, uh, another component, uh, is this idea of of you know think about a database. You can you can typically do uh, a create a transaction, read it, edit it, you know, delete it, update it. Those are the sort of real uh, basic features. In a blockchain database, we never delete anything. You no, know, it, 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 and that you know that alone should make it valuable, right? Um, uh, you know, we, we, we want to know the history of birth certificates or, you know, um, uh, permitting, or we'll see, mm-hmm. in a, in, as we talk about examples, all the different things that government does. Um, it, it's really helpful for transparency and, um, better governance to be able to see the life, uh, of every single interaction with a particular, uh, system. And, and, um, you know that those two qualities make right there make a uh, uh, blockchain unique. It's not the only ones, and we'll see more in a few minutes. But those are really key here in the conversation.
0: Yeah, and I think it's important to for those who aren't familiar with blockchain technology to recognize that um, blockchain is part of Bitcoin. It is not the main part of it. It is not the <laughs> thing that makes Bitcoin what it is. Um, and so when we're talking about blockchains, what we're really talking about is a chain of blocks, it's cryptographically linked list of data, and it is tamper evident and it does show order, but it is not immutable. Just a blockchain in itself could be um, mutated. So it's not necessarily immutable and it doesn't have time stamping services as part of it. And so there are a lot of different aspects that, I think sometimes are associated with blockchains that don't actually exist so a blockchain is not a diverse group of people that are able to come together and um, use it to build and evolve and change things right there are other components that need to be added to a blockchain in order to really make it usable and um although I wish blockchains were magic because magic sounds lovely. <laughs> I am drinking out of a Harry Potter cup. And clearly I like <laughs> the idea of things being magical, but we do know that um, they're not magic, right? So you can't just sprinkle blockchains onto a current system of government and assume that it's going to fix all of our problems. Um, but they, there are a lot of different things that we could do with blockchains that could improve our world which is i think what all of us really want is to make a positive change and so they could be but i think we need to also recognize the limitations of blockchains and while they are tamper evident and while they do show order there are a lot of other things that um, make for example bitcoin exciting that don't exist within just blockchain technology or distributed ledger technology
1: yeah so,
2: I'll, I'll go ahead i, I, I think. Yeah, I was just gonna. No, that's um, uh, Jessica makes excellent points, and I wanted to add to it. uh, You know, everyone should ask this question. You know, if you can do what you're trying to do with a traditional database, don't bother with blockchain, right? Mm. This is this is the thing that comes up uh, over and over again. Is you know, I'm you know, someone who has worked in innovation for (laughs) many decades now. Uh, We we shouldn't you know find problems for solutions. You know, and so if if you're a you know an architect, or software engineer, or whatever it is that you, the role you play in designing software, um, you know, rule out the ability for existing systems and databases to do what you need to do before you look at blockchain. It really needs to be applied uh, uniquely to solve some unique 21st century solution.
1: And actually, there's a couple of things that that I want to mention before we, before we continue earlier, uh, Jonathan, you mentioned the word provenance. And actually the first time I heard that word was watching Pawn Stars. And even though I'm French Canadian, I understood the meaning, which was like in Pawn Stars, they're trying to figure out like who held this piece of art. Is it truly like a JFK golf club or not? We need to show its provenance. And what you were saying is blockchain technology has that ability that you can link something and actually follow it through technology, not just a piece of paper that you have to trust comes from, uh, you know, uh, not Zag, it's what I'm I'm talking about, but some official body, you can Uh actually follow that provenance in technology. And the other thing, uh, Jessica, you mentioned, and actually that's what I want to riff on real quick a little bit here is, and Jonathan, you'll appreciate this. You use the word magic. Blockchain is not magic. But I've always been told that technology needs to work like magic in order to be effective. And, <laughs> and that's why, like, I remember hearing a, a venture capitalist on a podcast many years ago, and, and he was saying, I only invest in things that I saw in Star Trek, right? <laughs> and, and we look at our smartphones, we look at all this technology around us. And for the most part, 99% of the population, I would argue, has no idea how a smartphone works—it just works like magic. What needs to take place for the government, at the very least, to start treating blockchain not as this intimidating technology that requires way too much? Like what needs to happen in the space so that so like this, we can start seeing blockchain like magic.
2: Well, I'm happy to weigh in. a, a oh sure, a yeah. <laughs> Uh, it goes back a little bit to a point i made earlier around you know where are we on the on the you know maturity uh scale yeah, yeah, yeah. relative to government use and we're early I, some might say we're we're further along than we are that that's okay i, I think personally I agree
0: with you we're very very early into this technology well 2nd i'm going to
2: stop you guys real quick here
1: because blockchain i know bitcoin was launched in 2009 I'm assuming that's when blockchain was created by Satoshi Nakamoto, I
2: believe this name was, right? Or did it have a life before that? The, the paper was written by a, an entity called Satoshi Nakamoto yeah. in 2008, who that's built eight. the software in 2009, we don't know. You know but we, it does not have
1: like a, a previous provenance of, of like back in 2001, some people were writing blockchain code back in like in the forum somewhere.
0: The problem that Bitcoin solved, which was the double spend problem. I mean, sorry, what is
1: the double spend problem real quick?
0: So the double spend problem is this idea that you can spend your money twice because it hasn't been recorded quickly enough. So I could say, oh, Jonathan, I'm going to give you five dollars and Richard, I'm going to give you five dollars. But I send it. And am I sending it the same five dollars to each of you? how do you how do we fix that problem so the issue of the double spend i mean it goes back to adam back and Hashcash, cash um, uh, bit gold there are a lot of different types of digital money and it wasn't until satoshi nakamoto he she they whoever um came up with um and we're coming up on the anniversary actually october 31st of 2008 as uh, jonathan was saying is when the paper was um published and so there is a history of trying to solve this problem. And like the cryptography that's used within um, Bitcoin and blockchain, these aren't new tools. It's how it was used.
1: So then there is a bit of a history attached to it that goes prior to the white paper and Satoshi. And, and you're saying that we're sort of very nascent into this space. It's been a decade and... I'm going to challenge the community a little bit here saying that how much more time do you need before it becomes really sort of relevant to, yeah. to, to people?
0: I, I, don't, I don't know compared if it's the right the question. Internet, compared to the internet and how the internet was used or not used for a long time. I mean, do we remember going on AOL and doing the <laughs> internet and saying yeah. like, I'm going to be using the internet and having to make sure nobody else is going to be on the phone, that kind of a thing to now, where we have the internet literally in our pockets on our cell phones. Um, and of course, not everybody in the world has that. That I'm speaking from a place of privilege in terms of having that. But the internet has evolved and I mean, over decades, and it's still changing. We're still changing how we use it and coming up with new things. Um, and it took the government quite a while to um, want to use the internet, <laughs> and um, not just an intranet. But so, um, I think that it is evolving pretty quickly in that it's open source, right? So anybody can go on the Bitcoin blockchain and um, use that code and make something else out of it. And so that's pretty unique and interesting and it makes things develop faster, but also um, there's a lot of misunderstanding with what distributed ledger technology is and um, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies have a bad rap in some circles. And because of that, it's taking, um, I think it ta- will take about the amount of time that the internet took in order to um, be seen as something valuable by a large portion of people versus mm-hmm. kind of our, our small set of people who currently think that it's really useful.
2: So I would add, you know, as a clarifier to what I was saying, I'm, I'm referring to the maturity of blockchain in government. Okay. You know, so so I, I just want to be real clear. You know, blockchain in the financial markets is integrated to to a much greater degree and uh, has a in quotes level of maturity. Uh, I mean, it's used in production. You know, major institutions use it. Um, in what
1: capacity, yeah. if you don't mind me asking? Can you give us some examples and make it real for the audience a little bit?
2: Well, one of the areas that uh, I was particularly intrigued with at the early in the early days, like all of five years ago, right, <laughs> was, um, was what's called cross-border payments, right? So uh, I think most of us can relate to this. You're, you're sending money to a different country. And, you know, there, there are... Uh, go back 10 years. There's a variety of ways you can do that. Uh, there's a few, uh, you know, dominant ways. You, you can use your normal bank, right? And, and what you find with your normal bank is, and, and again, 10 years ago, is... To send money from San Francisco to London uh, would take the transaction would take about three, four, five days to settle, and uh, there was some overhead to it. There was a cost. Um, there was a small uh, likelihood, but not uh, a, a no likelihood of of some uh, uh, fraudulent activity happening with your account or or with that transaction. Mm-hmm. Um, so a number of challenges. Uh, but you know if you were prepared to pay a huge premium, there were retail. Uh, you know cross-border options uh, uh, where they would they, you know upfront the money uh, on their side and then you know charge a premium for it. Well, how do you start to eliminate some of that friction? You know between me, the sender in San Francisco, and the recipient in London. Um, well, you know one of the qualities of blockchain is there there are pretty much no uh, brokers, no middle or intermediaries. Um, and so you look at a solution, a blockchain solution from a vendor called Ripple, right? Uh, and what that does is um, it initially uh, records the transaction in, uh, in near real time uh, between myself and my re- the recipient in London. Um, and then it's, it's hardened, if you like. You can't, at that point, change it because that's one of the qualities, again, as we talked about, of a transaction in a blockchain. And later on, the bank then just settles it in a normal fashion. So that enables you to have much uh, quicker transactions. So some of you who do bo- uh, cross-border transactions today, it's all black box. You don't know what's going on in the background, but you probably found that your transactions are moving faster. And one of the reasons for that is there's blockchain in the background. And, 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 and Go ahead, yeah.
0: Well, I think that um, one of the pieces when we talk about um, it as a, a function or a form of money, we're talking about cryptocurrency, um, there are thousands of different cryptocurrencies. People have gotten really excited. They've forked the code base and made um, variations of Bitcoin, like Zcash, Litecoin, um, you know, Ethereum is an um, open blockchain as well. And so there are a lot of different options, but I don't think most people, or I know most people aren't using cryptocurrency to get paid or to mm. pay people. So it has all these advantages as Jonathan, you were pointing out, but it's not being used as much as it could be, which is unfortunate because of things like, um, you know, quicker transactions and um, low trans- transaction fees, things like that. Um, and I'm not going to go down a rabbit hole here, but I, I would argue that Ripple is not using blockchain in the same way that Bitcoin or Ethereum is in terms of um, it being in an open permissionless um, blockchain like, like Bitcoin and Ethereum use it. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, nothing just evolves out of thin air. Everything comes from something before it. And there have been a lot of different um, elements that have created, gotten us to where we are with being able to use open blockchains and to be able to use cryptocurrency. And um, at C4, so I'm the, I'm the executive director at C4 and What we do is we help um, kind of create the standard for what somebody should know about Bitcoin before they claim that they understand crypto or understand Bitcoin. You know, there's so many people running around claiming that, oh, I know this and this and this. And again, it's magic. And I I remember we got in um, a mailer about a year ago, something about how blockchain was coming to this new stock that um, my partner had. Um, you know, invested in. And I'm looking at it and reading it, and I'm like, well, this is 100% garbage. Like this doesn't even make <laughs> any sense. And he's not in the industry. And he's like, sounds good. Like, well, yeah, the marketing team is awesome. They did this <laughs> excellent job. Right. Um, but so I, I would like for us to um, use Use open blockchains in government in the way that it could be used, in the way that I've seen it being used in some cryptocurrencies, and not in the way, as Jonathan you pointed out, is um, just like a filler term, right? And, and something that is not actually being used for what we claim it can be used for. And I think that that's, that is um, one of the barriers is, will the government use open blockchains in the way that it can and I would argue should be used or would they be used as just another database? And um, that wouldn't actually change anything, right?
1: So, so let's, let's stick with that for a moment real quick because you're, you're, for, for clarification for the audience, blockchain, mm-hmm. the analogy that I use to explain it and is that blockchain, I think of it like an engine and cryptocurrency is just a type of car. Right. The engine can power many different formats of a car. Cryptocurrency or the, the is one use case. Mm-hmm. Another use case for blockchain is something that we talked about earlier, John, with your example, Jonathan, of the provenance of taking an item, a document, a, a, a piece of art and putting it on the blockchains to show its origins and that it's in fact authentic. Um, But there are many other use cases. I know, I think in research in particular, we're talking about documentation and research is is something that would be very beneficial, perhaps, for a government agency. I can personally see it like we're talking about the provenance, but VINs, like VIN numbers. But where is that sort of demarcation? Because if I'm just going to put a VIN number inside a database, I might as well just sort of keep it in access and enterprise system. Why would I go to something like blockchain? Uh, Mm -hmm. to, where's the advantage? Because from a government perspective, I got to hire blockchain people, which are few, I would argue. There's not many people that I can think who are able to code with blockchain technology. And I'm sure they're expensive (laughs) Mm -hmm. if I'm going to bring them inside government. So what is sort of the advantage of taking this blockchain engine and powering up these databases that could be sitting inside government what are the use cases there perhaps
2: well i, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about this topic called trust i, I think mm. that's a, a key term that hasn't come up yet okay um because we again we 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 have to ask every single time we look at a blockchain solution in whatever industry is can it be done with traditional technology if the answer is yes let's stop talking about blockchain
0: yep you're here, here.
2: In, in, an, in a traditional technology uh, system, uh, there are lots of uh, participants. Uh, there are people who are administrators on databases. There are people who have different rights. Uh, people, and that means things like people can delete, people can edit, some people can just view. Um, but there's a whole infrastructure of people with different rights. And, and, and what that does ultimately is it, it kind of works, right? It served us well for about 40 years. Um, but it has lots of weaknesses. I mean, it's as strong as the weakest link. You know, if you have a uh, a um, an employee, disgruntled employee, and they have certain rights <laughs> on a database, yeah, yeah. no kidding, they can screw it up. They can mess with it. And, and look, I, I've been in IT for thirty years. This happens a lot, <laughs> right? Or or an employee that's thinking about leaving and yes. of, you know. <laughs> Taking some so, steps. <laughs> so think about that. All of business runs on trust, right? We, we never part with our money or buy a product if we didn't trust at some level. It's a human thing. And mm-hmm. computer systems run on a platform of trust typically, right? We don't think of it that way. But when you use your bank online or buy something from Amazon, there's a massive degree of trust there that you know, your yeah. money is going to be dealt with appropriately. You're actually going to get a product delivered to your house. How about we design a system that doesn't rely on trust, right? And I will, we'll use the term trustless, right? It doesn't, actually, you know what? I think that's a problem right there
1: because people want trust. I think from a marketing yeah. and branding perspective, that's the, that's the <laughs> wrong way to frame it. Maybe it's more like Probably. trust is baked in the system.
2: Yes. Well, I yes. think
0: so, when you talk about trustless, and I, I should have said this when I was talking about double spending, is how do you trust that I actually have that $5 and that yeah. I will give it to you, right? Yeah. And so I think what Jonathan's getting at is that we don't want the system based on trusting a third party, having this one person like that, that leadership um, role, getting to make the decisions, but having it distributed, having the trust distributed rather than focused on one person. Is that what you're leaning into, Jonathan? I think you're, you're starting to talk about trust. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's,
2: it, 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 with blockchain, we're talking about the entire elimination of trust. Exactly. And 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 Richard makes a good point. If if you think about it in the wrong way, it actually sounds bad, right? No trust <laughs> or trustless. Does that mean I can't trust it? No, it means we don't need trust for the system to have high integrity. And right. you'd be hard pressed to find an alternative to that in the technology world. That's again for me. That's the turning point. That's the the magic. That's the if revolutionary. You like. That's right? the revolutionary that part.
0: Revolutionary when Bitcoin came out is oh wait we don't need somebody to say. That you've you're giving the five dollars and that it will get there because there is a network protocol that yeah. is built in that says that this is going to happen and there's no way for me to then say oh wait I actually want that five dollars back because I need some coffee right because it's gone <laughs> once I put it on the blockchain it's yeah. Yeah. on the Bitcoin blockchain specifically it is proven that it is there and there's no way to go back which when when we're talking about what the government would put on um, an open blockchain. I think we would need to, that kind of goes back even further because if what you're putting on a, on a blockchain or on a distributed ledger is not accurate to begin with, then it doesn't matter if it's um, immutable and it stays there forever. Because if the, the content being put on there is inaccurate, then you're just, I guess, continuing this farce that the, whatever's <laughs> there is accurate and it's not.
2: So, yeah. so, so true. I, 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 so, so well made. Uh, that's such a great point. I imagine your listeners, if they're if they're following along with us, they're on the edge of their seat because they're like, "This is interesting." Well, how does it do that? How does it do <laughs> it? <right? laughs> so I, I do feel obligated just to uh, speak for one minute, just to say, you know, a tease of how it works, because <laughs> you know the, this this concept of being able to have uh, transactions occur with no intermediaries and no validation it is uh, revolutionary, right? Um, and it and it acts, there's there's a couple of mechanisms, real quick, and, and 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 sort of basic description. First of all, there is no central database in a in a blockchain ecosystem. And that's you know, somebody who you know has a computer science degree several actually, um, that's like a bit weird. <laughs> you know, typically we're creating database, we're putting it on a server somewhere. The data is distributed among all participants. That's the first thing. That's different. Okay. And secondly, for every transaction to take place the consensus of those participants is required. That's really interesting, right? You don't need that in a traditional database. It's basically uh, one person or one system. Mm -hmm. Um, So you've got sort of like this entire ecosystem of participants in a particular blockchain system who will only allow, and we're talking mostly about software code here, not an actual human being doing something, um, saying, yes, that's a valid transaction To to Jessica's point. Which you made uh, several times very well, to, to, to eliminate the core problem of double spend, double spending digital money, um, the consensus of the network says, you know, you've already spent that money, you can't spend it again. And that's, that to me is the inherent revolutionary component. And that's present in every single type of blockchain, even though there are, you know, a uh, couple of thousand, 3,000 variations of it today. I remember um, the very first conversation that
1: I had with a gentleman by the name of Joshua McDougall. I'm a huge fan of his. He sort of did a lot of handholding for me um, when I was first learning about it many years ago. Um, I said to him, does that mean that technically a person would be able to track their tax dollar inside government? So you're paying your taxes and you can actually see which department it goes to. And like you were saying a little bit, Jonathan. You there the because you don't have that intermediary, you don't know what's happening with that money before it gets to the end sort of organization. Is it really mm-hmm. going to a charity? Is it really going to a not-for-profit? Is it really going to pay this public servant or a large corporation and their and their um what's the word I'm looking for? And a big budget item, uh sorry, a big project item. So you're you're able to actually track all of that through the system and actually say, I paid. Twenty thousand dollars in taxes this year, and guess what? I know for a fact that it went to my government in these ways, which is yeah, fantastic.
0: I mean, it would be amazing, right? Imagine being able to see. Oh, but you know, nineteen thousand of that twenty thousand was spent on like changing the trash cans into a different <laughs> design, and you'd be like, they picked up trash outside my house. That's why that was the first. Thing. <laughs> um, but you would see it and think like well what the hell that 19000 dollars that doesn't seem like a,
1: a reasonable yeah. yeah
0: a reasonable place for that amount of money to go and then you kind of can go back and see why that happened and what's going on and to have that kind of transparency into where our dollars are going um would be incredible. It's also kind of scary because I do think that maybe nineteen thousand dollars is going to <laughs> revamp the garbage cans in some <laughs> in some areas. So, um, but I mean, it is incredible. Let Let me
2: give you a specific example uh, on that. Uh, and before I do that, I, I do want to correct something I said. I said databases have served us well for about forty years. Forty years ago it was nineteen eighty. I should <laughs> say. <laughs> I mean, that should spook us all out, but I, I, 60 or 70 years, you know, back to the yeah. ni- late 1950s, early 60s. Uh, so I wanted to clarify that. Um, I want to talk about the United Nations Food Program, okay, and, <laughs> and how the United Nations distributes, you know, food and money and supplies to people who uh, are, you know, uh, in, in a bad situation or have just suffered from a natural disaster. You know, when when uh, when the United Nations, you know, uh, spins up and says, we're going to you know, we're going to be part of the of of uh, providing, let's say, money directly to uh, end users so they can they can buy food and 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 do things they need to during the crisis. Um, you know, they they have traditional mechanisms by which that money flows through the ecosystem, and it and it does, as you can imagine, in in the old-fashioned systems, uh, touch a lot of brokers and intermediaries along the way. And surprise, surprise, not all the money gets to the person it belongs to, right? not only because there's administrative costs, but people aren't always good and they steal it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so the question is, how, how can we make sure that more of the United Nations money goes directly to that end person uh, suffering a disaster and they can spend it and buy materials or they can, and actually can deliver you know, uh, uh, stuff for them? And, and so they've been experimenting with blockchain for that very reason. Uh, and, and in a couple of uh, large-scale initiatives over the last... Two to three years, they've they've had significant success in moving, uh, you know, I, money and items uh, in in a way that the end user is seeing, you know, the benefits in, in a greater degree than they have in the past. To me, that I, I love this example because it's it it's so um, it's so meaningful to 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 a person in need, you know, they, they, and and as a taxpayer, you're you're also happier that more of what you've contributed gets to the person in the need
1: now before uh we only have about let's say 10-15 minutes before we got to close out the episode here and there's a couple of things i definitely want to hit on one is is sort of the training element that's required by government because there's a huge huge gap i believe before like just people understanding blockchain to actually being able to use blockchain but first in terms of use case i would be remiss if we did not talk about voting Because especially in the United States, where the both of you are right now, there's a lot of confusion on, on how to avoid and how to prevent, I should say, fraudulent voting practices. Yeah. And we're talking about earlier the provenance of a painting, the provenance of a software document. You can do that with a vote, from my understanding, that you have a vote that does not have to go to an intermediary and is registered to the person that you are voting for. Done digitally, done safely, because it's based on a very secure system that's actually more secure than than just about anything I can think of, but I'm not an expert. But let's take a few moments, just five minutes if we can, if you guys have thoughts on this, because I think
2: it's particularly relevant right now. I am passionate about internet voting. Internet (laughs) voting. I even have a hashtag Hashtag Internet Voting 2024, Internet Voting 2024. And the reason why that is, is our next presidential election in the United States, whether it's at the city or state level, should be on the Internet. We should have that option for voters. I'm not saying go national, do the whole thing on Internet by 2024. That's ambitious. But let's get a state or a county or city on it uh, by uh, 2024. We can do this. It's so weird, this topic. I raise it a lot. It took to lots of people. I hear more people say no than yes. This is a classic case of Jonathan. It'll never happen, or it's not possible, or we can't do it. I hear no's, no's, no's all the time. And
0: I, oh, I man, I'm, what are the no's about? Are most people saying no because they don't believe the technology exists, or it's just scary because it's you know new and ah change?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, it's, I, it's all of those, but I think fundamentally it, is the, the the belief that it can never be secure, that no one will trust it that that you, you, to vote on your smartphone or your computer and know that that's recorded um, it can't be can't work and i want to say uh you know it, it, everything seems like no until it's yes right that's you the famous thing. because
0: there is, there isn't an understanding of what technology is out there that i right. mean most people use cryptography every day but don't realize that they're using it right it's like magic yes <laughs> <laughs> it's like magic right but we've got um, digital signatures. We've got all of these different things yeah. that we can do, and it would be really neat, even just to st- to start on a small scale um, so just, to show how it is secure.
2: Totally, I, and and to give people the beginning of confidence, it's already done. I, I you know, the, the, there's I give you quick examples. First of all, the country of Estonia does a lot of voting online. The, the whole country. It's a small country. They're you know they're digital native, and they've done it. Uh, Zug, which is a small you know town in Switzerland, does it. And I just learned, by the way, that Canada is going to start to do some non person voting, as in uh, you can vote for propositions and changes uh, in, in the next election over the internet. Um, and finally, this week, as we are speaking, an astronaut voted from the International Space Station, an American astronaut voted over the internet. So the answer is we can do it. We just have to scale it. And we have to build confidence. Uh, what do you think, Jessica?
0: I mean, absolutely. I think that would be incredible. I did not know about this astronaut voting. I think that's so cool. Um, But so, yeah, I definitely think that um, it would be an amazing thing. And I see no reason, you know, in terms of technology, why we couldn't make that happen. Um, Of course, the, the roadblocks are often not that we don't have the tech for it. It's that we don't have either an understanding of the technology or and we don't have the internal infrastructure that's needed in government to make this happen. Um, Or like we talked about earlier, change is scary. And um, I worked in public education um, earlier in my career, and um, I know that change is very difficult in public institutions and to, you know, you have to have change management and technology in, this sector is very far behind. I mean, it is a huge hurdle. When I left public education to move into um, this field, I was so far behind. I mean, just little things I didn't even think of because I'd never been introduced to them, but suddenly it was like, I was learning five new technologies a day, all these new apps, all this software, and everyone else on my team is like, well, yeah. (laughs) And I'm thinking like, okay, so it it was a huge learning curve. And I didn't think I was that far out of it. um, But it turns out I was but so it's a huge undertaking in terms of educating people not only about the technology that we're talking about and how to use it, but all the other pieces of technology that come into play. And it's scary to say that, oh yeah, I'm on board with implementing something that I don't completely understand. And there's all kinds of negative press out there. You know, like We were talking about the word trustless. Oh, what does that mean? And so th- there are all of these different stories going around, mm-hmm. um, scare stories that really impact us being able to do this. But I think that they're, the people that understand the technology can see how this would work. Um, and that's exciting, it really is.
1: And actually, and this is a perfect segue into the the next conversation. Like I said, we only have a few minutes for it, unfortunately, which is how this is going to be a classic question of how do you teach an old dog new tricks, right? We don't necessarily have a good educational system that's teaching people about blockchain, but government, we're asking a whole bunch of public servants. In Canada Canada alone, there are over 300,000 public servants at the federal level. That's not even including all the other jurisdictions. How do you bridge that gap? The cryptocurrency certification consortium was created a few years ago to help create that base. But I would like, how how do you reach 300,000 federal public servants? <laughs> um, yeah,
0: solve this problem right now in five minutes, Jessica. <laughs> yes, let me just solve this for okay. no, Seriously, um, Seriously, I don't think that, It's solvable immediately, right? Change takes time and it takes going from the ground up and getting buy-in. I think as something like Bitcoin gets more um, acceptance and becomes less scary and then, oh, I've used Bitcoin and I understand that blockchain technology is part of it and that, you know, it's not all for buying drugs on the uh, you know on the internet that's that is not what i'm doing when i am using bitcoin you know i am getting paid in it or something else that it's not nefarious it's just another form of, of payment but i think when we start to use the when the technology becomes more mainstream and people see that it's not scary that will help but really it would take it would take quite an undertaking in order to change how people view the technology and education moves very slow and it's mm. difficult to get that buy-in from people. Um, but once it happens, I, I think that we, we have other forms of technology that will aid us in this, like YouTube. There are hundreds, thousands of YouTube videos. Of course, you have to sort through what is credible and what isn't, which is another issue. Um, but the, the information is already out there. And I think it's marketing um it better, getting the information out further. I mean, it's things like this podcast, people just listening um to something. And by way of that other conversation, they learn about open blockchains. I think that's a big part of it. Um, but you know, that's also what we're doing at C4. We're creating a course right now for people who want to become certified Bitcoin professionals um, so that we have credible information that they know comes from people who are um, trained in this technology. And so we've got our our board members and our CBP committee members are all working within the industry and creating, um, back to that word, trust, trust in the information that's being shared. And so I think that that's really important, but there is no easy answer. I wish there was, this is again, like magic. I wish that um, you know, informing people was like a cupcake and I could put the magic sprinkles on top. <laughs> and you can all take a big bite and, you know, cakes delicious. And then we're all happy in harmony. But it's it's really not that easy. I don't know, Jonathan, do you have ideas mm. for how this could actually be implemented? I'm a bit <laughs> I think.
2: <laughs> sure, sure. Well, uh, you know, most government workers don't know how to program JavaScript, right? Uh, mm. Most government workers don't know what an Oracle database is. The same applies to blockchain the vast majority of government workers will never need to know anything about blockchain in fact most humans will never need to know about Mm -hmm. blockchain what we need is uh you know a a cadre of engineers and architects um you know visionaries behind the scenes who who see the value and and uh, offer a, a solution that's superior to the one that's used for uh you know identity management or or voting in the future I think that that's important to remember it in twenty twenty um, linkedin learning who who I work with uh they did a survey of, of their membership of 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 um you know students they have uh several hundred million as you probably know uh blockchain was identified as the number one desired hard skill uh, for technologists um so there's a recognition that there's a demand in the marketplace and there's an appetite to to learn it um, The last sort of plug I would just kind of say is. Um, so I write and deliver blockchain courses, and my and on LinkedIn Learning, anyone can find a series of my blockchain courses. They've been watched by uh, as, as of you know October 2020, over a million people have taken my courses. Um, so you know I, I'm helping a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. uh, inform. Uh, but you know what it comes down to is, and this is the same thing. This is the advice all advisors give to every startup. The only thing that matters is a good idea. The only thing that matters is a good idea. Everything else is just sort of periphery to that. And so it, I love the use case of uh, hashtag internet voting 2024 <laughs> because, <laughs> because it solves a problem. Blockchain potentially solves a problem that's hard to solve today. If we can apply blockchain technology in the backend, uh, reliable, mature blockchain technology, and we can get internet voting, how cool would that be? No one would say that they wouldn't like to vote in an election from their smartphone. I, people would love that. You know, I'm still, I'm waiting, you know, I, I, here in California, we got the, um, we, we got the mail-in voting, right? So, you know, you got to, you get some paperwork, it's multiple sheets, you got to sign certain areas, you got to put it in multiple envelopes and certain aspects of the envelope needs to be, you know, a certain way so that the signature can be seen through a gap. And then you got to find a place to mail it. And uh, I mean, it's, a, it's an ugly mess. And that's why this election is going to be uh, quite, quite, quite the event. Well, um,
0: we also have I, the people who don't believe in, don't believe that the information is accurate, right? Right. If we use cryptographic proof, oh, suddenly it's no longer debatable, right? right. The data is there and it's um, open, available to you know for proof, and it is it, it tamper evident. It could be immutable if we were using something like proof of work. Um, which is a whole other bag of worms we're not going to get into. But, um, I do think there. this is interesting. There's a lot more actually to discuss, I think, than what we've had time for. On this. Oh,
1: I, I can definitely see a part two taking place in the near future if you guys are um, available. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a couple of things uh, that I want to say before I let you guys go. Uh, uh, first of all, uh, the trust element is, is something that is so extraordinarily relevant to this conversation. I'm glad you guys brought it up and talked about it so eloquently. And I just got to plug some of my own work right now, which is back in 2014, I actually did a short film on open government, open data and open source. And I'm proud to say it was the first ever short film on the subject matter. And it was a bit of a spoof between the matrix and office space, the movie office space. (laughs) And I think I did a pretty good job with it. And uh, there's a lot of people that helped to force make it happen. But at the end, I was c- trying to coin the term O3. And I was essentially saying that O3, what is it? It's trust. It's a trust in a system that a lot of people have lost for any number of reasons. And it's so extraordinarily relevant. And going back to what you were saying, Jessica, in terms of people believing in the system, and it's just going to take time that, yeah, I'm glad that both of you guys exist. Both your organizations and the work you're doing exist because... We're just going to have, keep biting that elephant one tiny little bite at a time uh, because I think what we've come to learn, at least the three of us, <laughs> what we currently have right now is not sustainable. It has to change. And uh, I don't know if you guys have heard this quote before that uh, government is a 19th century institution using 20th century tools to solve 21st century problems. So mm-hmm. with all that being said, I want to thank you both for joining me on the podcast today uh, before i let you go please tell the people how they can reach you how they can reach your organizations twitter handles whatever you guys want to offer uh, we'll start with you jessica please
0: sure um, cryptoconsortium.org is our website for c4 and we also um, have a twitter handle at learn more with c4 um, and then empoweredlaw.com as well Um, is the other organization I work with. And we're all working to um, try to educate the masses about what this technology can do. So please follow us. Jonathan.
2: Great. Uh, Yes, I'm very active on Twitter. My handle is just at Reichental R-E-I-C-H-E-N-T-A-L. So please connect with me there. Very active on LinkedIn. Always happy to network and meet new people. Um, You can also watch my courses uh, there on LinkedIn Learning. Uh and I I would be remiss, I have to plug my book. Uh I have a a best selling book on the future of cities right now. And you can find it at smartcitybook.com, smartcitybook.com or Amazon or whoever it is that you use online. And there is a section on blockchain and government in the book. (laughs) So if you want to go a little bit deeper, uh I've provided uh the textbook for that. Thanks for the opportunity.
1: Oh, this is great. This has been a such a fun conversation. I want to appreciate the dynamics. And the energy you guys brought, because I think too often it's presented in a very dull fashion and it uh, can be boring to the ear. So thank you I guys. It for...
0: can be fun. <laughs>
1: totally. <laughs> uh, it's like magic. Who doesn't like magic? We just gotta get it to that point a little bit, just a little bit more work. So so thanks again for the both of you for joining us. And as usual, I wanna thank our audience for listening. So please leave a rating or a comment on how to make the podcast better or if there's any guests or any stories that you'd like to hear. So until next time, let's make it open.